Ladies and gentlemen, this piece is called The Proof is in the Plotting. Not the pudding, but the plotting. And what is plotting? That's when you walk heavily, uneasily, comma, as if through mud. Well, if I were setting forth my main conclusions, one of the first would be our schools are in much, much worse shape than most people imagine. And you know that because the most characteristic activity is plotting. Now, if people at the top were sincerely trying to do their best, we would be fine. I don't believe they're trying to do their best. I believe there's too much mediocrity, too much dysfunction, too much half-baked theorizing. And let us confront it. Too much malfeasance, subversion, and betrayal. Please decide for yourself how bad things actually are. I say the proof is in the plotting. The students are slow and unsteady and unenthusiastic, like people who are walking through a depressing scene. Or be more systematic and look at where people are in each subject. I'm talking about grades now. Just look at how, how good they actually are. They're amazingly low. Are they learning to read at all? Do they learn geography, even a little? What history do they know, if any? Here's my impression. Our schools are not advancing aggressively to the front lines of education, singing battle songs and banging on drums. No, they plod along. No smiles, no enthusiasm, no fun. They're pouting and moaning most of the time. Do we have to learn this? Oh, you mean I have to do homework? Oh, no. Why isn't this an open book test? Do I have to spell my name correctly? Oh, it's so unfair. So I say the proof is in the plotting. You can judge the students you have by talking to the children in your house or on down the street or other peop or people you're related to. Talk to the kids. Ask them questions. What do you know about this or that historical event? What do you know about this or that topic? I think I could walk through the halls of any school and ask simple questions and accurately assess the school. Tell me about the sun, the moon, and the earth. Draw a picture showing what goes around what. I don't think most people in our public schools can do that. I might be negative on some occasions. On the other hand, I suspect that most of the time the students would look at you with amazement. What goes around what? What are you talking about? Who knows stuff like that? That's a favorite thing that in these man in the street testing and questioning, the students say, who knows stuff like that? As if it just never would be possible that a school might actually teach substance. So you might say, how do I know I can trust this guy, Bruce Price? Well, that's reasonable. Fine. I've been doing this more than 30 years. I can warn you, if you are a reformer, you're always going to be on the outside against the school system, the universities, the media, the foundations. Not very happy situation. So we have to ask, why does the education establishment have the power to go on destroying what took so many years and billions of dollars to build? But they don't have to prove themselves because the media and they are all on the same page and the same castle, I guess we could say. But if I have to prove myself, I say, okay, 
Let's go and look at any student you can talk to or that you're related to. Where is Australia on the globe? Or Alaska? Or anywhere? I'll bet you most people you talk to, most children, won't get with 500 miles of any geographical question. Jay Leno started jaywalking 20 years ago, and those things were really a shock to a lot of people because he would ask very simple questions. And you can find those videos on YouTube now. Jaywalking is the name. They are a tremendous help when we're trying to gauge just where things are. Then 10 years ago, Jesse Waters at Fox and Mark Dice, an independent writer, got into the action. They've all done excellent uh, questioning and quizzing of people to see what they know. And then Jimmy Kimmel, an uptown liberal, we might say, he came up with the single greatest moment when he sent out a team with a map of the world and this challenge. Point to a country and name it. The outlines of all the country are on the map, but no names. So you would think surely people will be able to identify the big countries. But most of the people they showed, a couple dozen, couldn't do it. They didn't even think to say, oh, that's the USA right in the middle there. It's clear that this particular sample of people have never had a geography lesson, never been encouraged to look at a map. The teaching of geography is apparently taboo in our country. The cops will come and arrest you if you try to teach geography, comma, apparently. We seem to have a weird convergence of Brave New World and 1984. Everybody is now semi-educated, semi-comatose, they're plodding from one unexciting point on the map to the next. Plodding is what our school system does and what our students do. They plod wearily from one half-baked effort to the next. They're depressed. They're not happy or excited. So let's look ahead to where we should have been all these years. The proper goal of a real school system is steady advance steady degree of excitement, at least to some degree. Here's a great anecdote about what the good side looks like. I was interviewing a woman on the phone. She was a principal of a classical academy, I believe on the eastern shore of Virginia. And she said to me that when she walked through the halls, listening to the voices and noises coming from the classrooms, if the kids are laughing, I know everything is all right freeze that frame. This woman is telling us a deep secret, and I have to say it surprised me and pleased me in equal degree, but I, I was quite shocked that she could sum it up in that one sentence. I suspect if you heard laughter in a public school, it would be the wrong kind of laughter with somebody making fun of somebody. Point is, plotting is not what you want in our schools. Education should be fun and entertaining so that people rush forward from point to point. No plotting. The goal really is the students want to be there. They look forward to the school the next day. You know if a movie is not good, people walk out of it. But at schools, we can't walk out. A couple of years ago, I read that in Virginia, some schools wanted to create what they call the block, 90 minutes. My first thought was that's the length of the average movie. 
That's a long time if you don't like that movie. You'll be restless and want to leave. Give students the option of walking out, even if just as a test, and you will quickly find out if anything positive is happening in that classroom. I read a story years ago about the great movie producer, Jack Warner. How did he know when something was good? Well, it wasn't about the message and the ideas and the cinematography and the famous stars or any of the artsy, smartsy angles. If he wanted to leave, he knew it was a bad movie. That's it. If he was restless in his seat, it's bad. That cuts right through everything. The problem is kids can't leave, so nobody plays to them, but we should. Let's make schools and curricula that respect the audience. It's very interesting that our education experts can rarely come up with better ways of doing things. Oh, they will say so. They often describe their innovations as if they were the final link on some road to heaven. But typically their so-called improvements are tedious and uninteresting, and usually counterproductive. Today everyone should be aiming for something we could easily describe. Children are happy being in the classroom. They want to go back to school the next day. They're not bored. They don't feel the school is dangerous. We don't want schools that are blackboard jungles. The idea of people fighting with, for, with, with each other or teachers getting hurt should be virtually impossible. Because that is the first requirement. Schools be safe and peaceful. The community, administrators, the parents, everybody involved should embrace this goal. If you say, well, what do we do with the problems? I think the top administrators should create a graduated table of responses, starting with the brief frown to calling the police for help. Maybe 20 steps from the minimal to the maximal. So I remember years ago, uh, it was a somewhat in interesting surprise. I heard about a tribe in the Philippines. I believe they were called the Tassadai. They didn't believe in punishing children. Their main technique is to change the subject. The child will feel this change as a rebuke, a subtle rebuke. So, but this, the rebuke is so gentle that no one would be offended. The child will just steer away from that same behavior the next time. You know, these days, if you look, YouTube is full of videos showing animals capable of fielding guilt when they do something their owner does not like. So I think children would feel this simple strategy. So the point is to start slow and easy when you have offenders of some kind, but without any hesitation about it slowly advancing over weeks and months to more stern responses. As it is now, and this is a major problem in public schools, the worst students are allowed to set the tone. I first read about this in a book in 1951. The teacher, it was a memoir, and she said, the troublemaker is like the king of the land, and he knows it. That was really interesting. That's seven, what was that, 70 years ago? A woman taught in Brooklyn for a couple of years, and she had everything. Her name is Joan Dunn, a dead, dead person at this time, a, dead, a deceased teacher, however you want to say it. But I love this woman for her, the purity of her love for school and for her students and the way they, the school broke her down and, and finally she gave up. Now, another way we know that things are bad is that the professors of education promote theories and methods that they have to know are feeble. 
See, I know these professors have to advance their careers and get publishing credits and, and attend to all that academic strutting around. But we would like these people to be aiming higher than pre-K to 12 and beyond. Stop settling for the half-baked. I think at this point there's no more good ideas left in our public schools. The ideas now are destructive or at best trivial. The very notion of children learning a lot is dead in the USA. Isn't that a sh shocking thing to say? Nobody's thinking about children learning a lot. Professors of education don't even think it's possible. Learn a lot, they would say. Don't be preposterous. A boat drifting at sea with a broken sail or a broken motor is plenty fast enough for them. But for me, kids learning a lot and moving swiftly ahead is the only goal we should be thinking about. I start with the assumption that there are thousands of basic facts that everybody needs to know. Everybody. Let's start teaching this stuff in kindergarten and don't slow down, period. That's the essence of the, of the curriculum. What the professors will do, they will have a program, they will have a conference, they will have a uh, committee that studies the project for five years and they'll decide that kids should learn more and they'll have should learn so and so details and they'll, they'll try to minimize the number of details because one of their favorite lines is why do our kids need to know that and the word that can be referring to anything here's how I would suggest schools do it start with the most interesting exciting items the things that everybody acknowledges are great for example, the Grand Canyon. Nobody, you can't beat that. Nobody can look away from the Grand Canyon. It's like the Great Wall of China. Or how about the surface of the moon? Or how about an amoeba moving about and eating a paramecium? You don't have to teach these things. They're fascinating and unforgivable, unforgettable by themselves. Just put them in front of the children. Another phrase I like is teach the wow, W-O-W. Teach the lightning bolts, teach the fun, teach what's entertaining, teach the wow. One thing I've th thought about is rich families 300 years ago would go on the grand tour from one big city to another to see the great museums and thus the great art. And you can say, well, this is an upper class phenomenon, but I'm interested in the mood of the thing. These children, were, it was fun. They're just moving around from place to place, test, and there was no grade or certificate. But by the end of the tour, these children would know a tremendous amount about culture. But the concept here is you show the great treasures to the children and let education happen. The reason our progressives can't man manage this little trick is because they're not fundamentally interested in education. They don't care about knowledge. It's almost like an alien subject to them. They are fundamentally obsessed with social engineering, and that gets in the way of letting education happen. The stuff at the beginning that is easiest to teach. Give the children confidence that they can learn anything. Give the children confidence that education can indeed be something they want. It's not supposed to be like going to the dentist, but that's what our K-12 system often does. The main thing you want to see in the classroom is momentum a feeling of moving along. Teachers today have a great advantage. They can go on the internet and find a video showing anything that might be useful. A five-minute clip from a famous movie 
is quickly obtained. There are wonderful videos, uh, reconstructions and digital reconstructions of Vesuvius erupting on Pompeii. Fires, floods, waterfalls, animals in the jungle, everything is in YouTube and easy to get. But it doesn't matter where it comes from. If you've got a private collection of uh, famous bridges from uh, 200 years ago, that would be great. Uh, the first cars. Oh, there's some wonderful car. They put a camera in the car and then rode it through Paris or New York. There was one in 1911. One of my relatives was born in 1911. So I was fascinated to see what New York looked like at that time. Because a lot of it, a lot of those buildings that we see now are built before that time. Now, I bet if you ask the question, is there an insect that can take down a bird? Take down as in grab it and kill it and eat it. Well, I saw a video that showed me a praying mantis can very well attack and eat a hummingbird. That's quite shocking. The praying mantis was no fool. He waited on a feeding station, kind of hanging underneath, as sly as a lion on the prowl. I decided that the praying man is found for pound for pound is the greatest killing machine on the planet. Counting. Now typically what a school will do is show you an illustration of a hummingbird or a praying mantis and tell you there are 8,000 species or whatever. But that's not exciting. That's not wow. The wow is the action in dramatic life and death situations. And instead of just chattering about it, all you have to do is just show them the, the wow part and then let the children offer their opinions on what is the most interesting aspect of anything you show them. That's how you draw them into a process that will lead to critical thinking. That's all that adults do. They say, what do you think of that movie? I hated it. No, man, that was a good movie. The director did it, that sort of thing. If children start talking at that level, you've got some sophisticated kids already. You can ask them to decide which traits an animal has that will be good offense or good defense. What is the most advantageous feature an insect or animal has? When is school should use anything near at hand? YouTube is very near at hand, but we've also got museums nearby, art galleries, river, factory, naval base. It doesn't matter. You build a teaching around anything near at hand that's convenient and exceptional. Now, often about the fact that I grew up in a community that had some very unusual features, and I never saw any of them. Even as now, I have not seen them. For one thing, we had a Ford factory, a, a huge Ford factory. It's closed now. But that's something that everybody should see at that time. Here's however a really big one is. And um, I've always been fascinated by big factories and big enterprises of any kind. So what we're trying to say here is that if you, if you do something right, there's no plotting. Now I think um, an interesting way to get a good sense of what's going on is to imagine, or you're doing, is to imagine you've been hired by a cruise ship to lecture retired assembly line workers. That is ordinary people. Now you're going to have to wake these people up, or they are going to walk out on you and feed you to the sharks. I predict that you will start thinking in a whole new way. Showmanship, that's another way of talking about what we need. Making memories, that's another way. Unforgettable, that's a song by Nat King Cole. Check that on YouTube. Hum it, sing it. Make sure your instructions are unforgettable. Now, you know what the bottom line is about the schools? They are waging war against the minds and the consciousness of our 
children. They want to make the interiors empty, drab, and uninspired so that everybody be restless and miserable and not trying very hard. But that's the exact opposite of what you want. You want the spirit of the, what is it called, the high school marching band, but they have it there at halftime in football games. And you got the drums and the instruments all playing and the drum majors strutting, strutting up and down the field. That's what real learning looks like, that kind of excitement. That might sound like a strange thing because, after all, they're doing memorized routines, but that's okay. Here's another tip for you more sophisticated teachers and administrators. Anything that's been a fad for the last 50 years, don't do it. Anything that the school system and all the officials said was the cat's meow, you know it's this cat is on his last legs and the vultures are circling over. You know, like constructivism and reform math and just anything, learning styles, whatever it is. These are the things I write individual articles about. And I've yet to find one of these things that stands up to scrutiny. So I started this thing off by saying the proof is in the plodding or the absence of the plodding. If we can get some people dump, jumping and dancing, you know like the way they do funerals? Funerals, yes, funerals in New Orleans. That's the best music you ever heard. And people strut to say goodbye, I guess, to the dead uh, person who's now gone over to a very uh, robust afterlife from the sound of the music. Then we need this. We need to see. Now, if I, talking to the officials in school, they, they're not paying a bit of attention to anything I've said because they don't want too much learning. But I'm talking now to the parents, to the people in the community, the school board who actually do want better age, education. I'm telling you how to get it. You don't put up with all the plodding and the sadness and grimness that's so common in our public schools. You start figuring out how to get rid of the danger and the things that get in the way, and then you start setting up get people who have some sense sense of salesmanship and they sell sell the past they sell different subjects biology is the most exciting thing in the world man here's what we're going to learn in biology and history boy is that exciting these are great stories from all of human history that's the way you go at it you give the kids a chance to like the stuff without feeling like there's something wrong with them okay ladies and gentlemen that was the proof is in the plotting I have to say plodding so it won't sound like pudding because there are people listening who never heard the cliché, the proof is in the pudding because people don't make pudding so much anymore. It's a cliché, folks. The proof is in the pudding, meaning if you did a good job, you, people will be able to taste it in the pudding. But uh, I was struck with the similarity to the freight word plodding, and I really said that's really what we've got in our schools. Plodding. Oh, my God, they plod. And on that note... Thanks for visiting today. Overview. Let's Fix Education explores seven of my favorite themes. First, this podcast is a meditation on what I call the K-12 crime scene. So many destructive ideas. Understanding them is the key to fixing them. Two, by doing that we will have better schools at less cost. 3. Nothing much changes decade to decade. The big questions of the 1930s were the big questions of the 1960s and the 1990s. Any subject we discuss can easily intersect with any other subject. Most people instinctively want traditional education. 
but the education establishment fills classrooms with progressive gimmicks. The result is that we have a standoff, and that's why you run into the same ideas over and over. Four, the big brains in education keep telling students, don't bother memorizing this or that. You can look it up later. B.B. King, comma, the great guitarist, is much smarter. He said, the beautiful thing about learning is nobody can take it away from you. Five, Lennon's ghost wanders through our school system. The hard left thinks big. If they have to kill millions of people to build their perfect society, that's okay. Same goes for dumbing down millions of students. Totalitarians want power. They will do anything to get it. Six, if we are going to survive, we have to take each child to his or her limit. As it is, we are creating millions of subeducated students from K right through college. Seven, analyzing education, especially dysfunctional education, is a lot more intellectually interesting than most people suppose. You'll enjoy this. Finally, P.S. My book, Saving K-12, runs parallel to everything discussed on this podcast. I also have an education site, improve-education.org, with 70 articles that complement everything discussed here. And I have hundreds of articles on the Internet. Enter a topic in Google with my full name, Bruce Dietrich Price, and let Google make suggestions. Thank you for visiting.